0: You take out your Bibles, we've come to the end of chapter 10 here in the book of Hebrews. I want to welcome you if you're joining us today for the first time, or maybe the second time, or if you're watching online. Uh, thank you for making part of your Lord's Day uh, journey here with us through the book of Hebrews as we continue before we get to this chapter that virtually everyone in Christendom knows, which is the Hall of Faith that we find in chapter 11. It is not to me at all surprising that we find a warning at the end of chapter 10. And let me tell you why. Grace is so amazing, and grace is a free gift to those who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a propensity in our humanness to perhaps look at grace as though it is something that is cheap that it is not costly. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Amen? Very costly is the salvation of those who are saved by grace and through faith. And before we turn our attention in chapter 11 to the role of faith in the life of the believer and this incredible role or hall or what I like to call the great heroes of faith, we find this warning, and it's a warning from heaven, and it is a legitimate warning. It's a warning that's been argued over for probably the entirety of the existence of this particular book, but most certainly since the Reformation forward. So the last 500 years, people have been... Tempted to try and join one camp versus another camp, that this is speaking specifically of unbelievers or this is speaking specifically of believers. Let me just say to you, it does not matter in the slightest which of those two views you hold because the warning is real. And the warning is not needed to be in the context of is this a believer who's lost their salvation? Or is this someone who's never come to faith in Christ? The bottom line is, if you do not know Jesus personally, you are lost and you will perish eternally. That's the issue. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews now gives us this warning before we turn our full and undivided attention to the role of faith in our lives. We get this last warning here from verse 26 to the end of the chapter, and it is a warning from heaven, and it's a warning that we should listen to. And so would you join me? Let's pray. We'll pick up here in verse 26 and finish chapter 10. Father, we thank you that you are a good God, and because we have weaknesses, you have warnings. And so we ask that you'd cause our hearts to be attentive, that we would listen uh, with spiritual ears to hear what your spirit's voice would say to us this day as we listen to this warning from heaven. And so give us the proper perspective on it, help us to hang on to the truth that's contained in it, fill your children with your goodness and your grace, and those today that need this warning, God, would you cause them to hear it? In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26, and here it comes. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. That is as strong a warning as exists in all of the Bible about what we would call the doctrine of salvation or soteriology. The Bible plainly paints a picture that there are two types of people on this earth. There are those who are saved and there are those who are not. There are people who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and those that have rejected God's gift of grace. There are sheep and there are goats. There are those that have gone through the narrow gate and there are those that have taken the broad path. There are those who are found in righteousness and there are those who are unrighteous. There are no other distinctions for all of humanity. You are either saved or you are not saved. There's no in-between. There's no waiting around to see what happens. The Bible plainly teaches that there are only two classes of people, those that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved and those that reject and will perish. Now you're probably thinking, oh boy, I came to church today to be uplifted. Warnings can be very uplifting, church, because warnings can stimulate you to do the right thing. Amen? Too often in the church today, we skip over passages like this because we don't want to offend anybody. Well, my goal today is to offend people who do not know Jesus with the truth. And the truth is, if you don't know Jesus, you're lost. And if you remain lost for your whole life and die in that lostness, you will perish eternally. So make no mistake, this is a real warning. This is what the Bible plainly teaches. And we as a church should plainly teach what the Bible teaches. We should not dance around it, and we should not substitute something else for it. There are no other roads that you can go down. There's one road, there's one way, one truth in life, and his name is Jesus. That truth is the center of the remainder of this chapter. So what is it really saying? Well, it's saying it's possible to reject that truth, number one. In other words, you can know it, you can hear it, You can understand it even and reject it. The question then becomes what happens to that person? Well, pretty clear what happens to that person. There is a real hell and that real hell will one day really have real people in it and it will be for all eternity. I don't think That most people would choose that if they understood the reality of what's being said. Because you don't have to go there. And God doesn't want you to go there. And so God offers a free gift to you. That free gift is salvation in Christ Jesus, paid for with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, his own Son. And he says, if you will believe on his name, you will be saved. And then your life's going to get transformed, your mind's going to be renewed, you're going to begin to live your life differently, and that different living is a sign that you've received that grace, you're not saved by the living, you live because you're saved. Amen? So this passage is reminding us, you don't have forever to choose. In this particular context, it's a warning to Jewish Christians who are tempted to reject Christ and go back to Judaism. That would be works. That would be salvation some other way. That would be you trying to earn your own way. That would be you doing what you think you need to do to win God's approval. And God has said to us over and over and over again in this book, you have my approval by believing in my son. You don't have my approval by doing works. Those things that you do that are works are done because you already have my approval. And so we have to get the order of these things correct. To me, I think it's unmistakable because you tie this to chapter 6 and the warning there, and this book being written to Christians, that this is speaking to Christians or at least those who have heard the fullness of the gospel. But as I've said, it really doesn't matter. There is only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Amen? It's a plain teaching there of Acts 4.12. So Jesus, in that sense, now hear me well, this is going to make a lot of people angry who will watch this, and there'll be nice little comments that will be posted on our website The way is narrow. Matter of fact, it's so narrow, it comes through exactly one person. And that one person is the one and only Son of God. It's not religion. It is a relationship with Christ Jesus as your Lord. That is narrow. And here's the problem. That excludes every other way. Every other way. Hinduism cannot save you. Buddhism cannot save you. Confucianism cannot save you. Islam cannot save you. Animism cannot save you. There is one Savior, and he alone can save you. His name is Jesus. So the moment you say something like that, you're identifying an awful lot of mankind that needs Jesus. Amen? That's our mission, church. Just as James, that we're studying through now, we're about to finish that book as well, teaches us that faith and works are inextricably linked. What you do speaks of what you believe. Period that living perseverance of faith that is in us who love the Lord marks us as those who are saved. You you cannot claim the name of Jesus as Savior and not also follow him as Lord. If Jesus is your Savior, he also is your Lord, which means your life should look different than it did before you met him. And so very much in view here is the role of the works that are in your life after you give your life to Christ. And here's what was going on with these Jewish believers. They were going backwards. Matter of fact, their lives were substantially not changed. And so the writer of Hebrews questions whether they're true believers or not by saying, if you go backwards, how do you know that you ever went forwards? And so he challenges them. You see, the truth of the matter is, God gives guarantees. You are guaranteed salvation if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's guaranteed. It was paid for by Christ's blood. It was authorized by God the Father. God actually said of his Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Jesus saying there in John 14:6 that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one, oh those are the words of Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life, and he who lives and believes in me, yet though he or she shall die, they shall surely live." Jesus said. I'm it. So you can either believe that or you can believe something else. Believing something else leaves you lost. Believing something else leaves you in harm's way. Because God, just as surely as he guarantees your salvation through the precious blood of his own son also guarantees that you do not have salvation if you reject the only way of salvation. Are we following? If God only offers one way and that one way is his son and you reject the one way, guess what the alternative is? And guess who made the choice to accept that alternative as opposed to the free gift of God's grace? It's the one who believes or does not believe. choice is yours. Verse 27, for there will be nothing to look forward to, but the terrible expectation. I'm using the new living for the remainder of this day because it gives us a little bit better understanding in modern English of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. Not much held back there in that guarantee. The guarantee is, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. For we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. But you can choose not to be there. You can choose not to do that. Just as much as you have a guarantee by grace and through faith to be saved, you also have a guarantee that if you reject that grace, you will perish eternally. You will go to a very literal and very real hell. And you will be consumed. That's the truth of what scripture says. And it is time the church stopped being about other things. People are perishing. They are going to go to hell while we argue over vaccines. While we argue over politics, people are perishing because we are no longer preaching the real gospel. People are perishing while we do these things. The main thing, the thing that Jesus said we're supposed to do, is to preach the gospel to every living, breathing soul, to all nations, and teach them as I have taught you all things. Baptize them in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's a very real hell and people are going to go there if they do not know Jesus. So let's stop kidding ourselves and get back on mission. The mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ until God comes and gets us. I'm going to be preachy today. The Old Testament reminds us of the sons of Korah. Oh, they thought it was going to be fine. But they ended up in Sheol. They thought it'd be, ah, God's not going to punish us. It's not true. The enemy wants you to believe there's no hell. The enemy doesn't want pastors preaching on hell. The enemy enemy wants you to believe, oh, it's just going to all work out in the end. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches unless you believe on the only begotten Son of God, you will perish. So make sure that you understand that because the lives of your children and your parents Your aunts, uncles, cousins, your community, your city, your state, your nation, and your world depend on people knowing Jesus. That's the mission of the church. God is very serious about sin and very serious about salvation. Verse 29, how much of worse punishment do you suppose... Will he be thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? I told you it's going to get preachy today. And counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. And insulted the spirit of grace. For those of you that walk with the Lord for a long time, you know that Matthew's gospel speaks of this thing. Called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is the same issue. It is the rejection of the finished work of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. That is what it means in a nutshell. God provided only one way. That one way is his son. And you can either believe that or not believe it. Doesn't change the truth of it. That's the only way. You can trample the blood of the only Christ underfoot. You can spit on the cross of Christ if you choose to. You can mock Jesus all day and all night, but he is your only plan for salvation. So you can see how serious this warning is. And so when you have people that want to mock Christ, when you have people that want to blaspheme his name, when you have people that fail to stand on the truth that there is only one way and his name is Jesus, you might want to take them to this passage and say, if what you say is true, then what do we do with this? How much worse? Look at the three things that the writer of Hebrews says here, trampled on the Son of God. I have no idea how many of you in this room have children. I would assume quite a large number of us have children. There are few things that disturb an earthly parent more than the abuse, the wrongful abuse of their children. Pastor Jeff will not be Pastor Jeff if you maltreat my children. And I'm not talking about deserved things. I'm talking about undeserved things. You will meet another person because Pastor Jeff will become Father Jeff, whose sons Brandon and Austin are the apple of his eye, whom he loves dearly in spite of their faults and weaknesses, And if I can make that distinction, how much more of a distinction do you think the righteous, holy God that created heaven and earth and you is going to have when you trample on his son's sacrifice for your sins? Right now, he's allowing grace, he's allowing mercy, he's allowing an age that to date has been 2,000 years long, nearly, for us to say, We're sorry. We believe, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But there will come a point in time when the trampling of the only Son of God underfoot will no longer be passed over by a holy God, and he will become God the Father, the avenger of the blood of his Son. You do not want to be around when that happens because much like you would meet me as father and not pastor, I would pray I would be restrained, but I know what happens in my heart for my sons. I can only imagine when the righteous wrath of God is finally poured out to deal with sin. When you had the opportunity to receive grace, Here's grace. You slap it out of the way and say, no, 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 no. I can do it on my own. I don't need your son, Jesus. I don't need your grace. I'm good enough on my own. I don't think you want to be around when God gives you an answer to that. So there's a warning here. And I believe that's why it's here. Spitting upon the precious blood. Insulting the Holy Spirit that has been in this world convicting of sin and righteousness. This message should be convicting to some. To others it will be enlightening to some engaging, to all of us, it ought to cause us to get up off of our couches and get busy about our Father's business, because people's eternity are very much in view in these verses. I, I don't know what to tell you when someone says, well, you know, I just think I have forever. No, you don't have forever. You have as long as God allows you to be on this earth, and we have no guarantee of how long that is. You have until your last breath, until you can no longer make a conscious effort to receive the grace of God, and once you can't receive the grace of God, you are forever on the other road. In that sense, you burn the bridge Pastor Greg Laurie did a cartoon that turned into a tract that's been around for 40 years, roughly. And it just simply shows the cross spanning a very large chasm. And that chasm is called sin. It's the bridge of grace. You can burn that bridge if you want. You can take out your chainsaw and cut one end off so it falls into the chasm. But if you want to get from where you are to where Jesus is, you got to cross the bridge of grace. You have to receive Jesus as your Savior. In that sense, God doesn't play games with the truth. He just tells it like it is. Verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, if you're in grace, saved by that faith expressed in Christ Jesus, you won't fall into the hands of the living God. You've fallen into grace into a marvelous relationship where God calls you his own, literally identifies you as his children. But just as these lines are quoted from the farewell song of Moses, Moses reminding the Jewish people, the Israelites, you do not want to fall into the hands of the living God. The New Testament presents a picture you can either surrender to the stone or be crushed by it. That same is in view here. When you get to heaven, there won't be any ask about who you voted for. There won't be a vaccine requirement. There won't be any masks. There'll be saints and ain'ts. And if you're a saint, you get in. If you're an ain't, you don't. If that's true, and it is, then what are we doing with that truth? Because that is an eternal truth. The rest of the things the church is engaged in right now are not eternal truths. They have very little, if any, importance God's not going to ask you about the con- There will be no constitutional quiz to get into heaven. He's not going to care about your First Amendment rights. In fact, Jesus laid down every last one of his rights. He counted not his own life dear. He himself said, greater love hath no one than this, that he would lay down his own life for his friends. Time for the church to wake up to that reality. God's not playing. But recall the former days, verse 32, in which, after you were illuminated, you endured such a great struggle with sufferings. Believe to the saving of soul. Christian life's not an easy life, it's a struggle. The word that's used here is actually the same word that you would use if you were describing an athletic endeavor. It's work. It takes training. It takes practice. You've got to practice your faith. You have to live it out. You, you, you can't be in for the short term. There's only the long-term view in the life of the believer. And so while we're here on earth, that's going to set us at odds with people. People are going to look at you and go, oh, you're not one of those that believes that Jesus is the only way, are you? And your answer should be, yes, I am. Do you know him? Because without him, you're lost. You're going to end up either as a wonderful representation of the truth, or you're going to help the enemy Deceive someone. Because they're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. There's no guarantee the United States of America is going to exist tomorrow. There isn't any. And you can make all kinds of equivocations about things that you think you can extrapolate out far enough to say, well, we're just going to go on like this forever. You're deceived. Because one day Jesus is going to snatch back the church from this earth. And we are going to spend some time in heaven. There will be seven years of unbridled war on this earth led by the Antichrist. And then Jesus is coming again. That's what awaits the United States of America. We're not found in Scripture for a reason. There's going to be one kingdom. That is the kingdom of our God. And you're either in it or you're not in it. It's going to be a struggle, folks. Standing for Jesus isn't going to be easy, but it's very temporary relative to eternity. We need to be engaged in that struggle. In other words, we need to be in it for the long haul. Verse 33, 34, partly you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, joyfully accepting the plundering of your goods, knowing That you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Get it? Sometimes we, we focus so hard on trying to fix the here and now that we forget there's a hereafter. Look, who doesn't want to have more freedoms? Who doesn't want to have a bigger home? Who doesn't want to have a nicer car? Who doesn't want to have more money versus less? Who doesn't want to have better things than worse things? All those things are our humanness, and all of those things are temporary in light of heaven. The church has been called to be heavenly-minded, and we need to get back on track The early church had all kinds of things happen to it by which the things that we suffer are minuscule. They actually really suffered, lost their lives, lost their property, were imprisoned simply for preaching the gospel. That's not happening to us. We need to be careful to not be whining about the things we don't have when we have so many things to be thankful for. It's just time. It's time to get back on track. We have a better, we have a lasting possession. Jesus said it this way, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths cannot eat it and rust cannot corrode it. Amen? <laughs> Heavenly treasure. All this focus on things that aren't going to be here next week, next month, next year, or at the end of your life. It is the strangest, most bizarre thing as you get older. You know, when you're young, you, you think like you have forever. Amen? It's like you wake up every day, it's like, oh, today's a great day. You get to my age, you're like, that's going to be our last house, and our last car, and our last dog, and that's our last meal, and y'all know what I'm saying. It's like, you start to have short timers a little bit. You're like, well, it's not going to last very long. The reality is, compared to eternity, we actually don't ever have a lot of time. But people wander around like we've got forever. We don't. We have this one life, and it's supposed to count for Christ. Instead, we're worried about a whole bunch of other things. And again, please understand what I'm saying here is not to knock doing the right things in the here and now. But don't trust in the here and now, rest in the hereafter. You have an eternal home not made with hands, it's in the heavens. And that's where you're going. So don't spend all your time. Any of you that have sold a house and and made the mistake of doing all those remodel things before you sell it, only to find out that the people that bought it don't like what you did? (laughs) That is exactly how this earth is relative to heaven. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to have a place that nobody can even imagine. So don't spend so much time on your earthly home fixing it up. Start looking forward to heaven. Amen? Amen? Because if you do, it changes your perspective. You don't get all caught up in stuff that ultimately isn't going to matter. You'll care about the things that you should care about, but you won't care about some of these other things that people are so caught up in. We rest in what Christ has done so that we know that our future is secure. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just like, Lord, I get to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven. Not I deserve to go to heaven. By His grace, I get to go to heaven. That's a long haul view. That's that endurance that we have to have. That's that perseverance that should be in the life of every believer. Verse 35, notice what Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. I have listened to Christian after Christian after Christian talk about the eternity that we look forward to as if it will never happen. Well, maybe. Maybe. Let me just tell you what I believe. One day, I'm going to take my last breath, and I'm going to see Jesus. I have that exact confidence. I don't need a bunch of words. I'm going to take my last breath, and I'm going to see Jesus. I have that confidence. Why? Because I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I've spent insane amounts of my life doing nothing but studying God's Word. And by that, I'm just simply saying, I've spent a lot of time doing that, but I'm not going to heaven because I did it. I'm going to heaven because the blood of the Lamb of God paid the price for my sin. And I believed on the only manner of salvation that God has presented to us, which is, if you will believe on His name, you'll be saved. Don't cast that away for other things. Don't cast it away for politics. Don't cast it away for good works. You cling to the precious blood of the Lamb of God. That is your eternal hope. You do not have hope any other way not through the sanitizing of a very small percentage of the world's population called America. We are going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus. Church, church, family, for you have, verse 36, need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise as you endure in Christ, you're saying, with your life's work, I believe. I believe. There are other things that you could be doing right now, you could have stayed home and done some gardening. You could have gone down to the beach, you could have gone to the mountains, you could have gone riding bikes, there's all kinds of things you could be doing right now, but by the works that you're doing right now, you're saying, Lord, you're so important in my life, I want to know just a little bit more about you today. That kind of work. Sharing Christ with your neighbor, people in your workplace. You have to be kingdom-minded. Because every day is a day closer to the kingdom coming. If you're not kingdom minded, one would have to question whether you actually believe in the kingdom. And that was the purpose of this warning. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. He went on to clarify that by saying, I'll show you my faith by my works. Watch what I do and see if it doesn't speak the name of Jesus. Watch how I live and you ask yourself, does he believe in Jesus? That's who we should be. We should be obvious believers in Christ. So much so that there is some persecution. And people go, man, you're weird. You're not going to get a better compliment while you're on this earth than somebody seeing you praying over your dinner in a restaurant going, oh, there are those weird people that pray. Hallelujah. Amen? Because you know what's really going on? They're convicted. They must actually believe that does something. Oh, they may say something snarky. But what they're really doing in their hearts is going, I wonder what's different about them. And then you finish that. If you don't say anything else clearly, say, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let them know who you're praying through and praying to. It's going to be worth the wait. For yet a little while, and he who's coming will come, and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith. This is the third time in the New Testament these words are recorded. Two other times by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1, so great was that truth that it changed the life of Martin Luther. He realized that there was no other way for someone to be saved. It was by faith alone in Christ alone. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see, what you give up here and now is going to be worth the wait in the hereafter. What you surrendered to follow Christ today, you won't even remember when you get to heaven. You're going to get to heaven and go, that was a deal. Not sure what I gave up, but this is amazing. You have that confidence. We should have that confidence. We shouldn't be apostate. We shouldn't be pulling back from that truth. We should be all in. Because it will be worth the wait. For we are not those, verse 39, who draw back to perdition. Lostness. Having tasted the good fruit, we we certainly wouldn't want to go back to where we once were. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. A warning from heaven. It is not by chance that this precedes this incredible hall of faith. These great heroes, beginning with Abraham. You see, because grace, though free, is anything but cheap. The blood of God's own son was used to purchase your salvation. Don't trample on it. The third person of the Godhead has been in this world convicting and convincing people of the truth of it. Don't reject it. Because there truly is only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close. And I want to simply ask you if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ personally. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. You can change teams today. You can go from being lost to being found. You can go from being damned to being saved. You can go from being out of the kingdom to in the kingdom. All you need to do is invite Christ into your life. And I'm going to challenge you, don't miss that opportunity. Whether you're watching online or you're here right now. The Bible says if you will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That he is God's only path to heaven. So we're going to pray. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. And I believe you are the only Savior. That you died for my sins. That you were raised for that new life. Forgive me help me to walk with you. If you'll pray that earnestly from your heart, you'll be saved. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, we ask right now that you would convict by your Holy Spirit anyone who's here in this room or watching online if they do not and have not yet known you personally, that this moment would be the moment of salvation. And so, Father, Speak your truth into our lives. And then for those of us who know you, Lord, help us to quit playing games with the time that we have left. Lord, it's short. The day of your return is at hand. We may not make another day. We might not make another week or a month or a year before you come and get your church. And so, Lord, we want these moments to count. And so seek and save those who are lost strengthen those who are your kids may we be busy about our father's business in this last days help us to not ignore this warning in jesus name amen thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message if you have any questions or just want to check us out make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org god bless you guys and we'll see you next week